Oh, this is going to be a good one. You're listening to Pete the Planner. This week on the Pete the Planner show, we answer your money questions. Why? It's just how the show works. I'm being honest with you. I'm Peter Dunn. Uh, Pete the Planner, joining me in studio this week, and I think next, Damian Dunn, uh, Director of Personal Financial Strategies at Your Money Line. Hello, Dame. Hey, everybody. Hello, Damian. Uh, throughout the show, I will call you Damian, Dame, and maybe Damon. I, I accept everything. All right. Or Mr. Dunn. No, let's no, not do that. Those are dads. Yeah. Separate. But equal. Okay, so uh, Damien, as you know, on this show, we answer people's financial questions. We have a lot going on this week. We're going to start with a question that just came in today. Uh, And uh, if people want to email us, they can email us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. We will do our best to answer your question in a jovial way. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Uh, here's the question. It is from, uh, wow, I think it's Janice. I think she put her first name last and her last name first. That, that's confusing. But there's sometimes. no comma. Oh. There's no delineation. See? Yeah, I, I think you're right. Uh, from Janice. Dear Pete, I want to meet a lawyer, estate planner, social security expert. She should try Tinder. No, oh, I'm <laughs> sorry. Uh, someone who can help me see where I am and what the future plan could be. I am not wealthy, nor do I have money to invest. I don't know how to start. Do you have any recommendations? Love, Janice. She didn't really? love. I added. Oh. That, <laughs> really? I've decided to start just adding okay. details. Um, wouldn't that be amazing, though? It would be very special. Okay, <laughs> um, man, is this not representative of not only what you and I see on a daily basis at your money line, but this is, man, this is this is America. Yeah, there's a ton of people that are in her position that are looking for some kind of help, some kind of guidance, and. They don't feel like they can get it because they don't have the assets that they think they need to go see a financial planner or a state attorney or whoever. I think sometimes people don't realize that you can have financial problems or financial needs and assets aren't involved with either side of those that conversation. For sure. And sometimes they're just as complicated as somebody who's got plenty of assets or more complicated. Yeah, think about that. And and man, I'm going to get angry emails from financial advisors on this one. But you know what? In the next segment, we're going to help them out a little bit. Um, it's a lot harder to plan someone's financial life when they have no assets than it is when they have a bunch of assets. Yet you, you can't make that work in, in how the financial services industry is structured today. No. A lot of time we talk about uh, behavior on this show, financial behavior. Um, if you're planning somebody's financial life and they don't have any money, the behavior is almost inconsequential. Absolutely inconsequential. So especially if they earn, if they have no money in terms of assets, but if they earn below living wage. Exactly. And see, I'm really glad you bring this up because I have not gotten angry about this in a while. And why not now? Today's great. Um, we love to separate ourselves into the haves and have nots. We, we like to say, well, those are the choices you made. It, when someone is making below living wage, it doesn't matter what they do financially. And, and I think people hear that, they're like, oh, it's just a sort of a liberal perspective. First of all, I don't really care what it's called. <laughs> it's the truth. Um, if you make below living wage, what you do with your money is not going to impact you one way or the other. I'm not saying go blow it, but you don't have extra money to blow. Yeah, your choices are limited to start with. And then once you add in the fact that 
you just don't have the resources to figure everything out, what are you going to do? And here's where I think people get uh, confused and they want to make that a hardcore judgment is if you make above living wage, oh, your choices absolutely matter. Yeah. It's, so it's different. It's crazy. Uh, so what would we tell Janice here? I mean, she has no financial resources to hire someone. She has no investments. There's a couple things, and I'm going to have to get the really easy, kind of gross thing out of the way. If her employer had your money line, <laughs> she could just <laughs> call or email us, and, and she'd probably talk to you. Probably. Maybe. If she's lucky, she would talk to somebody else. <laughs> she would talk to one of the other people. Yeah. Um, so that's out of the way. Uh, you know, there's those financial planning days that the, is it the C F P F F P F P A. <laughs> You're getting there. There's a, there's so many acronyms. Yeah. NCAA. Not, not right now. Anyway, there's, uh, oftentimes the local financial planning association mm-hmm. board will have a day and it's called financial planning day. And you can go and talk to top notch experts for free. Isn't that in the spring? Um, I think it, you know what, she's in Indianapolis. Let's look it up. Usually. Yes. But it it may vary based on different regions. All right. I'm looking it up. What are the other things she could do? I mean, how, how, where else can you find an expert? Social security administration, you you can go there and talk to someone, can't you? Absolutely. Yeah. If you've got uh, questions revolving around social security, you can go there and and, uh, talk, set up an appointment. Probably don't walk in, but just set up an appointment. Go sit down with somebody at Social Security Administration and ask them the questions that you've got. They can pull up your information, maybe run a couple scenarios, and, and you're going, are, are we taking off? I feel like we're in a, a large jet airplane, but they're just a giant truck the size of a transformer driving by our office. We're waiting for the captain. Um, man, I'm looking for the financial planning day. It might be in the fall. It looks like it's in the fall, October in Indianapolis, September, October. It's usually at the University of Indianapolis. So, um, and those are great. You're going to most likely talk to a certified financial planner, uh, and they can start to dig through your stuff and make sure you bring some information with you. So the more detailed, the better. They may not get to all of it. They may not want any of it, but they're going to give you some answers or at least give you, give you the right direction. Let's tack this a different way. Damien, right now, you do not have access to your brain or mine. And... Uh, you don't know anything about your financial life, you have no investments, you have no money to hire anyone, and you need, you need to know about social security. Like what, what do you, and you need to know about uh, estate planning. Like what would you do? I mean, you can use your brain in problem solving, you just can't use your financial brain, but what, what would you do? Uh, if I needed to know social security, I'd probably, honestly, first thing I'd do is probably I'd get online. SSA.gov. Yeah, and just start poking around and seeing if there was anything I could find on there to answer my question. You know what's really interesting, and this is out of nowhere, which is how this show works. Um, Very astute observation by Janice that she needs to talk to people in those different areas. It is. Because I'm not so sure most people really understand that. Yeah, listen, I'm... I am a certified financial planner. Um, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Look at me. Look Ooh. at me. Look at me. I bring this up because Pete isn't. I'm about to make up for it. Okay. Ooh. I, I also know that I'm not a specialist in everything. Okay. And there's absolutely no reason. If somebody wants to know the, the intricacies about estate planning, I might be able to help them out, but if they want to get the, the nuts and the bolts, they, they, they need to go to an attorney. So what do you think, what's the best solution for the estate planning angle to this? That, that one's a little tougher other than financial planning day. 
a free financial planning day. Yeah, and I don't know if um, the local bars or the state bars offer. They even ask a lawyer day. I, I thought they do, and there's there are some other um, you know nonprofit organizations that offer legal advice mm-hmm. and have days that are set up. I just don't know. I'm not familiar enough with them to know when those are, where those are, and how they function. Oh, I know who is. You do. Tuesday, April 9th in central Indiana. Coming up. Like in like a few weeks. A matter of weeks. I don't know math. But um, ask a lawyer day. So no matter where you are, obviously not everyone here listens to the show in central Indiana. Go just Google ask a lawyer. uh, Three words. um, Plus whatever city you live in. And then you can find one of those free days. It's between 12 and 8 p.m. April 9th in central Indiana locations all over the place. I mean, a lot of libraries, the Pike Library, where I used to not study in high school. So you can go check that out. A lot of good books there. Uh, So I hear. That's right. Great picture books. I used to read the Sports Illustrated in the periodicals. (laughs) Coming up after the break, uh, we're going to go over uh, my latest Indianapolis Business Journal uh, column before you get it. That's right. Um, We're going to talk about how people underutilize financial advisors. So we just talked about here how hard it is to find access to financial advice when you don't have money. Coming up next, we're talking about the people who have money who just don't use their advisor right. If you want to email us, do so. Ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. Damien Dunn, Peter Dunn in studio. I'm Pete The Planner. On the Pete the Planner show, I'm Pete the Planner. Damien Dunn joins me. Hi, nice jacket. Thank you. Visual references on the radio—they endear people to you. Um, <clears throat> this week in the Indianapolis Business Journal. Next week, some week in the Indianapolis Business Journal, uh, I wrote an article about how people underutilize their financial advisors, and boy, do they! I mean, they really do. I, when I was a financial advisor, I felt like a few people used me correctly. When you were a financial advisor, do you feel like what percentage of your clients used you the way you wanted to be used, which I assume was comprehensively? Yeah, the way I wanted to be used? Yeah. Not many. Yeah, I, me same. Like 10, 20% probably. I think I told you this story this week. The The one moment in my career that I think back on that to me was the proudest moment because it's how I wanted to be viewed was when a guy, his name was Chris, um, I kind of remember his last name, but it wouldn't make sense to say it on the radio. Uh, called me. It was about 4 o'clock, midweek. He said, Pete, I just got laid off, or just got fired, essentially. Um, what do we do? And he hadn't called his wife yet. Ooh. Right? And so it, it was it was one of those things where if you think about your earnings and you think about your career and you think about the finite amount of money that will come into your life, I believe your financial advisor's job is to help you, you know, deal with your revenue, your income, versus what happens in your life and, and come up with stability at the end. And, and too often, Damien, people don't use their advisor that way. They use them as in, in investment ideas, and then they just argue with them. I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, or they don't even argue at all. They, they just listen to whatever the advisor has well listen i'm using air quotes another great visual reference oh i loved how you did yeah. that you guys you should have done 
Yeah. That's the air quotes. Listen. People can hear Sorry. It. Yeah, I'll add sound effects next time. And then they either totally ignore what they said or just don't give enough you know, weight to what the advisor says, and, and they go about their ways. An annual meeting for a lot of clients turns into a performance review of the investments, and then they just walk out the door. So I'm going to make big, bold, sweeping statements. You know, we're going to try something new this week. Mm. I feel like the scrutiny over investments is so overblown. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes the advisors don't do themselves any favors because they want to make it about the investments because they want to uh, show that they have value in relation to the fees that they're charging. Sure. And what they don't understand is that there's a better way to add value by actually uh, digging deeper into someone's life. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, you know, for a long time, when you and I were, were just starting out, eons ago. Uh, 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, that was commonplace. Advisors hung their hat on being able to manage somebody's money better than the other guy. The problem now is, is that investment management is becoming commoditized with the advent of robo-advisors and um, these uh, index funds that are becoming very prevalent. Do you know what you just said is incredibly controversial? Okay, great. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm fitting in perfectly now. Yeah. No, but wow, that only took a... No, but a lot of investment advisors don't feel that way. I, I'm, by the way, that's, I agree with you. Okay. They, they can be wrong. That's okay. <laughs> I guess that, that begs the question, what are the two main functions of a financial advisor? And, and we could spend three segments on trying to get through all the different names that you call someone who manages your finances. But, Damien, the two main functions of a financial advisor are investment management mm-hmm. and then everything else. And, and, and we call that financial planning most of the time. Yeah. People conflate the two ideas. Yeah, investment management is the uh, the one that gets all the press because that's what is going to, uh, in most people's eyes, make or break their retirement. Are they going to have enough money? The planning side, however, is equally, if not more important. Yeah, I, I made the uh, uh, analogy in my column that investment management is to exercise CrossFit, mm-hmm. Peloton, Orange Theory, all these fun, sexy things to deal with. And financial planning is what actually matters, which is your diet, Mm -hmm. uh, your nutrition. And and so this is how I separate them. Um, Your investment management deals with the money you've already accumulated. Not the money you've already made, because you've spent some of that. Mm -hmm. It's what you've accumulated. And financial planning deals with everything else. You know what drives me nuts, I think, is that when people go to buy a new house of any income or asset level, people go to buy a new house and so often they'll call a bank or a realtor or a lender and they don't call their financial advisor first. Like, why would you not do that? It's a great question. I, it, being you and me, but we, we, <laughs> yeah, well, we, we're a little well, jaded. Yeah, we see. Of course, that, that yeah. makes sense. But some people, I think it's entirely reasonable to say that I don't think some people realize that that could be a function of your financial advisor because they just see the investment side of that equation. Yeah, I, I think of it too. It's like if you get a raise, I think you got a raise at the beginning of this year and you are a financial advisor, so you would call yourself. But, well, you're not a financial advisor. I'm not. Yeah, that's the thing. Anyway, you manage your own finances. I do. That's the best way to say it. Um, 
Why, how, how am I making that mistake? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Pretty it's fundamental error thanks, there. Thanks, boss. I'm good at this. Um, if, when you get a raise, when you get a promotion, when you're thinking about taking a new job, when you get fired, call your advisor immediately. Yeah. Hey, we've got more money to put towards our plan. And, and people don't do that because they either don't know they can do that or they don't want their advisor to know that they've got the money. Yeah, I, I think you made the... The, the point in your piece that your advisor is the CFO of your your own personal little situation going on and you don't hire a CFO to ignore them no no and and I think what's super interesting about that is you know and I know in the financial world there are family CFOs that is a mm-hmm. thing um, that people market themselves high-end financial planning and CFOs uh, are for these families that have got tens of millions mm-hmm. of dollars. What I don't understand is why the rest of the marketplace of financial advisors hasn't glommed on to that pretty uh, descriptive way to talk about someone's relationship. I don't know. I Maybe, I don't know, I think pure speculation at this point. The, to maybe, down market or, or to, to up market? To up market, yeah. 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 I would think so, but think about it. If, if you, the consumer, are the CEO of your life, you and your your significant other, your co-CEOs, may, well, actually, if you're like most households, well, there's a CEO and there's a COO, and the CEO <laughs> thinks they've got all the power, but the COO is the one that actually does, yeah. right? I mean, let's let's not take that any further. Um, so so let's say that's your relationship. This You would not make major decisions without going to the CFO and saying, how can we make this happen? Does this make financial sense for our organization? And if you don't treat your financial advisor that way, I, I, you're totally missing out. Yeah, and if, if you were to go to an advisor with a, something you want to do and they say, I don't think so, they say, okay, this is something that's really important to us. How, what changes do we need to make to make this happen? See, I think that is actually the best question, but what you need is you need a good financial advisor that's not afraid of getting fired. Sure. I, I, um, here's another sweeping statement. We need a sweeping statement horn or something on this show. <laughs> uh, uh, I think most financial advisors are afraid to get fired. Yeah, and that comes with uh, the type of compensation, yes. if, 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 which is a whole other segment. You want to talk about that next segment? Maybe. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so in next segment, we're talking about advisor compensation. Oh, this is going to be fun. We didn't talk about that. We are going to talk about this. I better settle down, maybe get some coffee. Um, so anyway, people, use your financial advisor like a CFO. If you if you get more income into your house, let them know. If you want to make a major pers- purchase, let them know. We talk about financial advisors and college planning, but when it comes down to it, people don't consult their advisors enough about college planning. They only do it about the funding. So coming up after the break, now we're talking about advisor compensation. Go figure. Damien Dunn, Peter Dunn, I'm Pete the Planner. the planner show damien dunn in studio director of personal financial strategies at your money line that's me okay so after we uh talked about financial advisors then it occurred to us we should probably talk about compensation not my compensation sort of a, yeah um damien we're here to talk about your compensation oh, man. let's talk about how people pay financial advisors yeah there's there's so many commercials even on the station probably between uh, our segments just now 
that allude to one compensation system is better than the other. Um, there's some real big players in the financial advice world that they lead with, they are compensated in the fairest way. And, and I think the most um, insincere direction people go with that is, we only make more money when you make more money. Yeah, and which, which let's explain that. So let's start at the beginning. Damien, there are two primary compensation structures. Shall you attack them? Sure. Uh, the first uh, and um, probably the one that most people kind of get their, their you know, backs raised up against is commission-based. Sure. So you have a, some money you want to invest. You take it to the, the local rep that may have a sign over the top of a strip mall uh, office. And uh, you say, I want to invest it. And they say, great, we can help you out. And they go and they buy something for you. Mutual funds, Mutual individual fund, stocks, yeah. index funds, whatever. And you are going to pay them a commission on uh, that purchase. So, and, and let's also throw insurance products in there, too. Yeah, absolutely. Insurance products, um, you know, term life, uh, annuities, all, all that stuff. They, Whole, everything. And, and those, those commissions can be uh, larger than you may assume the, they are uh, technically they should probably disclose what that commission is but they're large you know I, I think one of the easiest things to do in theory but hard in practice is just to simply say how much do you make on this transaction yeah and that feels icky it feels like it's none of your business but it pretty much is your business it is you've got to know uh <laughs> you've got to understand why they're recommending what they're recommending and if it's to make you better financially that's great What's their motivation? Are, are they getting better financially too? I would like to say that I don't believe just because someone charges commission that they don't have your best interest in mind. You no. know what I mean? Like I feel like they absolutely are doing the best they can. They're restricted sometimes by who they work for mm -hmm. or how they can charge. And the other thing, and this is completely anecdotal and observational for that matter, is that I think that uh, people on a commission basis will deal with people with less money. Absolutely. Um, compared to the other means of compensation, which is? Uh, fee, or uh, you, know, you bring a, a, a IRA rollover, I'm sorry, IRA, 401k rollover from uh, your previous employer, and it's a nice chunk of money, and you don't really know what to do with it. So you go to an advisor and they say, well, I'm going to charge you 1% of what your account balance is on an annual basis. And you just pay as you go. You don't pay for the individual uh, holdings inside of that, the, the mutual funds or the ETFs or whatever it is inside of that. And if there are trade uh, costs, usually the advisor will pick that charge up themselves and eat it. Um, little Tabasco goes a long way. Um, what? Keep going. Sorry. <laughs> I'll so, do the jokes here. Okay. Um, <laughs> probably best. <laughs> So they will pay uh, at 1% usually, and it'll range anywhere from um, you know, maybe three-quarters of a percent to 1.5% uh, in, in some of the cases, and that will be determined primarily on how much money you are investing with that advisor. And I think what people need to understand, and I'm just going to make up some numbers here for a second. Let's say you buy a mutual fund in a loaded share, the old-school way. You buy an A share, and mm -hmm. you cost you 5.75% and there's some internal costs to that on an annual basis. Let's call it 90 basis points. Okay. So you're paying, uh, heavy. Okay. Let's go less. Let's go, uh, 75 basis points, a little less heavy. And so anyway, th those would be your expenses. You pay 5.75 of what you're investing would, wouldn't even go into the investment. It would go 
uh, to commissions and, of course, paying the mutual fund mm -hmm. company as well. And then on an ongoing basis, you'd pay three quarters of a percent or 75 basis points. What we're suggesting under the fee-based model is you would not have that upfront charge of 5.75%, and you would hypothetically, say, have a 1% fee every year in perpetuity. And though, Dame, they still have to pay the internal costs of the mutual funds. Yes. And when we say you have to pay those costs, it's not like you have to get out a checkbook and stroke a check for it. It comes out of the performance of the fund. Yeah. So don't feel like that's just one more way that they're trying to get into your pocket. I mean, it's, it, you are paying it. There's no way of getting around that, but it doesn't have to be cash flowed. So neither system is great or terrible. It, they just are what they are, and people have to decide what makes sense for them. There is this idea within our industry, though, that the fee-based model is the most ethically um, secure. Yeah, it, it's turning into a, a, a little offshoot when they say fee-only or, or fee-based, and it's the model that I'm most interested in and I hope really takes root. It's uh, basically a flat fee for service, uh, whether that includes uh, just the planning component. Maybe uh, some advisors might lump in uh, the uh, investment management side of it as well. And so it doesn't matter how much money you have, whether you're, you've got $50,000 from a, a 401k rollover or $500,000, you're basically paying for the advisor's time. So it's the old realtor argument. It's like, why does my realtor get $28,000 for selling my house, um, but they only charge this person $7,000 for charging their house? How does the selling of the house price matter? Uh, oftentimes, a financial advisor, if someone has a million dollars or a person has $250,000, the services aren't different. Mm -hmm. It's just the dollars are different, but the advisor gets paid more, and, and people view that to be unfair. Yeah, and if you've ever heard a commercial that says uh, you, you must have at least $50,000 or you know, 100000 and believe it or not, there I'm sure there are plenty of advisors in central Indiana that have a million-dollar minimum. I, I, to, I know. I know a lot of them. To work with. And right, wrong, or indifferent, that's just how they've chosen to structure their practice. They feel that for the amount of service that they provide and how long it takes to take care of that type of client, in order to be compensated the way they want to be compensated, that's the minimum amount of assets that you have to invest with that advisor. If I had to pick a perfect investment compensation structure for advisors, advice compensation structure, I would do what you just suggested. Flat fee, um, your assets don't matter. It's, it's hey, uh, we are $300 an hour, and we're going to work on you for 10 hours this year. That's 250 bucks. That's a month. That's $3,000 a year. I think that is the perfect structure, especially if they do work on you for 10 hours and then they charge you the 300 bucks each time. Um, wh where I have trouble is there's sort of a, you know, a $10,000 a year fee. They barely review it or they've reviewed it because they reviewed everyone else's and everyone has the same portfolio. Yeah. And that's not uncommon, unfortunately. By the way, I also want to say, I don't think it's bad that an advisor has everyone in similar portfolios. No, I, a lot of advisors will have um, maybe like core investments. Sure. And then based on the situation, uh, age, risk tolerance, all that fun stuff, they'll tweak it uh, accordingly. But a lot of advisors have go-to stuff. Yeah, the, I heard there's a commercial on right now that's like a custom investment portfolio just for you with investments that fit your needs. It's like, look, I understand this stuff and I don't need, I don't need that. 
like I want my money to grow at about eight percent long term sure. r- rate of return. Uh, just give me that. I don't need anything special. Just give me that. And that's the other side of it is like people managing their own expectations. I used to manage about a hundred million bucks before it sold my practice. I can tell you personally, I want eight mm-hmm. percent. That's it. I want eight percent a year. Mm-hmm. Every year, that obviously doesn't happen. That'd be amazing. But over a long term, I want eight percent. I don't fight for forty percent. You know, I I don't. I just want eight. Yeah. And and I think, I I think that's hard to find yeah. because of the way advice is dispensed. Managing expectations, another part of being a financial advisor. Oh my gosh. So anyway, we want you to have a financial advisor on the Absolutely. show. Absolutely. We one hundred percent want you to have a financial advisor, but we want you to know what you're getting yourself into. We don't think one way of compensation makes one person bad and one person good. In fact, we think there's a different model that is becoming more popular, mm-hmm. slowly, mm-hmm. Um, that, that does it the right way. So coming up after the break, we're actually going to do biggest waste of money of the week. And a little, a little segment we like to call financial current events. Your money line team on overdrive this week, finding financial events. I'm Pete the Planner, and this is my show. This week's biggest waste of money of the week right here on the Pete the Planner Show is the Dyson Light Cycle LED lamp. The color and intensity of natural light changes throughout the day. The Dyson Light Cycle intelligently adjusts its LEDs to match. It can also adjust to your age. Older eyes need more light or given task and switches on and off automatically using a motion sensor. Heat pipe technology, you know, it's funny, um, I want to keep going, keeps the LEDs cool, allowing them to last for decades. Available in both desk and floor models and in silver or black finishes, this Dyson Light Cycle LED lamp starts at $600. Here's my main issue with this. It's not with the lamp. It's not with LED or heat pipe technology, which I'm saving uh, the joke on that. Okay, yeah. Um, it's with Dyson in general. I'm, I have beef with Dyson. Please explain. Okay, so you know they they make all sorts of futuristic stuff that is like oh cyclone. Okay, whatever. Um, they have the hand dryers in the bathroom, like the mm-hmm. blade hand dryers. Yep. Well, now there are these hand dryers that are built into the faucet. What? Okay, I was at a fancy restaurant. Ooh. <laughs> That's fair. And I went to wash my hands because I am civilized. And it was right after the fourth course. And <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So I went to wash my hands and I'm looking at, I'm trying to describe it. It's a silver pole coming out of the wall, you know, okay. faucet. But then there are two silver poles of equal thickness, basically creating an arrow that's pointing at you. Okay. Okay, so an arrow, a metal arrow is pointing at you. Mm-hmm. So you're like, okay, well, this is an automatic faucet of some sort. So you put your hands under the faucet, and, and, it, and it starts spewing water uh, on demand. Okay. And you're washing. Very nice. You're washing. You're supposed to sing happy birthday to yourself. No. Aloud. Happy birthday to me. Anyway, so I do that. And then I'm like, okay. And I look for paper towels and things around the wall. 
And I'm like, what? And I sort of wave my hands and go, what's happening here? And it activates the blow dryers, which are the parts of the arrow of the faucet. Okay. But instead of blowing the remnants of water droplets down into the sink, it blows it onto me. Yeah. Like, I'm getting wet, getting my hands dry, and I'm like, I could have just wiped them on my pants. So Dyson, quit making pant wetters. That was Dyson? Yes. The guy's like, we make brilliant products. That, and that's not his voice, but I just choose any <laughs> accent is his. Uh, this week in financial current events. Can't afford to buy a home? Try turning back the clock to central time. This is not surprising, but home affordability is a uh, big issue in our country. There was a report this week that 41% of New Yorkers don't believe they can actually afford to live in New York. Um yeah, we know. Yeah, it's not a surprise. We've been telling you that for a really long time. Yeah. I love that when New York discovers something, like, we're getting four inches of snow in Central Park. Let's. This is breaking news. Shut it down. Shut it down. Uh, anyway, um, anyway, New Yorkers discovered housing affordability this week. Um, there's a uh, thing from NerdWallet, a thing, article, yeah. that basically says, move to the Central Time Zone. Central time zone has one of the most affordable uh, types of places to live. Uh, the Pacific In the Pacific time zone, the most affordable place is Kennewick, Richland, Washington, where the median home price is $278,000. Uh, um, wait, wait, hold this doesn't make sense. I'm confused myself now. It says the national median price is two fifty seven, but this saying the median home price in this place in Washington is two seventy eight. That's higher than the median home price. Why is that affordable? It's the median home price for the Pacific or for that that area, which they say is the most affordable in that zone. Well, I understand that. It just doesn't make sense to me. Uh, median household income is sixty three thousand in the Pacific time zone. The mountain time zone, the most affordable place is El Paso, Texas, which I believe is Spanish for the pass. Oh. Is it? I, I probably. I don't know. Um, least affordable place is in Boulder, Colorado in the mountain time zone. But it's beautiful. Least affordable place in the Pacific time zone is San Jose or Sunnyvale or Santa Clara, California. Median home price is $1.25 million. Hmm. <laughs> um, let's see. Central time zone. Most affordable. Decatur, Illinois. Median home price is $89,300. It would be rude if I were to be like, yeah, but Decatur, Illinois. That would be rude. All right. I won't do it then. Uh, least affordable place in the central time zone, Shreveport, Louisiana. 170000 is the median home price. Um, but that's because of the median income in the area. Is $38,627. Yeah. What's the median income in Decatur, Illinois? 51970 uh, fun with data. You know, next week on the show, we're going to do fun with data. Is that, that what we're calling it? That Sure. We can call it whatever we want. We can think about it between now and next week. Okay. Fun with data is what we're doing next week. Uh, East time, Eastern time zone. Most affordable place in the Eastern time zone is uh, Youngstown, Ohio. Uh, $97,200 is the median home price. The median household income is 45000 And the least affordable place, Marco Island, Florida. 432800 is the median home price, and the median household income is $66,000. How is that the least affordable in the East Coast? Wouldn't you think there's 
a lot more places on the East Coast that are less affordable than that. I would think, but it's it's on the internet. It's got to be true. Oh, it's absolutely, it's 100% true. Uh, colleges and retirement communities partner to offer multi-generational leave living. This uh, piece coming to us from uh, Next Avenue, where grownups keep growing. I don't know what that is. <laughs> you can go there if you want. Sorry. But I just tread Next lightly. Avenue, I swear I'm not laughing at you. I promise. Yes, we're not. I think it's a great tagline. Um, they're not listening to the show. So there's this thing now where in retirement communities, they're allowing college students to, to live there to save on the cost of living expenses, and it's creating a lot of really interesting relationships. I think it's a great idea. We had a house mom at our fraternity in college, Mom Huber, Jesse Huber, may she rest in peace, who she was, uh, I don't know, how do you say it? Uh, she was an old woman. I mean, is that sure say elderly lady or what, what what's appropriate here I, I think you've done enough she was decades older than us <laughs> like <go>. seven decades <laughs> older she was amazing i mean she was she was a curmudgeon <laughs> but she was great she would yell at girls huh. at like that would try to come into our house like she was incredible she she was interesting and she would make gingerbread kleenex boxes like she would crochet them or knit them or, or something and she taught a lot of us to knit hats so one valentine's day a lot of the guys who had serious girlfriends in the house we had a knitting class and mom huber had had us all knit hats for our girlfriends for valentine's hmm. day what a great idea it is a great idea she was from racine wisconsin and she always talked about the racing kringle which i introduced to you Remember that donut thing I brought in the office that one that's day? That's what that was? Yeah, that's oh, from Mom Huber. You love this woman, back too. Back when I ate donuts. I know. Could you? Would you live uh, in a retirement community with uh, in college? I probably would have. I think I've got the personality that I could have handled that. But, can, I mean, wouldn't you get sick of getting drunk on brandy? If it's free, I don't care. <laughs> that's a little... Um, they. What are the advantages of this thing? Like, there's always something to do you could always play bingo there's uh, shuffleboard shuffleboard there's, that's great actually i bet it brings some wisdom to the young people and it brings some energy uh to those that are less young why am i struggling to find the word i don't know for older people don't know i'm gonna work on it okay elderly elderly seems like a, a pejorative though I don't know if it is. Seasoned American? That, no. No? No. <laughs> That's not good either. You guys, I'm going to get better. I'm going to get better at this. Okay, next week on the show, we're going to do a couple things. Uh, some emails. We're going to do fun with data. data. Fun with data. We're going to come up with a name for it, and it'll be great. It'll blow your mind. Until then, email us your questions. Ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. That's it. I'm Pete the Planner, and this is my show. And then do a-